This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. And please also check out our newsletter, the Planet Microcap newsletter on Substack, where we notify you of each new podcast, as well as our weekly microcap wrap as to what's going on in the microcap market on a weekly basis. The Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas, happening April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino, is coming up. We announced our first keynote and speaker, Andrew Walker, host of the Yet Another Value podcast, and he will be back to host a keynote Q&A with legendary small microcap investor Bob Rabati. This is a conversation we'll definitely want to see in person, as well as all of our other speakers that will be there, which we will be announcing very shortly. And our event brings together the best investors and thought leaders in microcap, quality microcap investing ideas, and above all else, the most fun and highest return on your time that you could ask for. More announcements to come, but registration is now open. If you'd like to register to participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, my guest on the show today is Bill Chen, managing partner at Rhizome Partners. I met Bill at the Microcap Leadership Summit back in October and was stoked to have him on the pod to chat real estate with him. I haven't covered publicly traded real estate or real estate in general that much, and I thought it was time to change that up. Bill did the pod circuit last year, and he clearly has a handle on the latest and greatest in real estate. A few things that we hit on today, the delta between public and private valuations, what lower interest rate environment means for REITs. We chat on a few pubcos, the bear case for real estate, commercial, and a lot more. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Bill Chen. Bill, thank you for joining me today, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Uh, finally got some warmer weather here in new york so uh yeah you know, enjoy snow it. out of the way yeah enjoy it i, don't, uh-huh. I mean i mean i'm not you know listen i'm not i'm not gonna throw stuff i'm in la i don't want to do that to you That's, that was mean i take that back but you know enjoy <laughs> it you know i'm yeah. sure i'm sure it'll stay warm for the next like four months for sure uh, <laughs> but you know bill i i do appreciate you jumping on here man uh we we actually met in person at ian castle's microcap uh, club summit leadership summit in Chicago. And that was, that was a good time. And, um, and dude, I did an amazing interview with, I mean, you've done a few of them now with Andrew, but, uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to the last one. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's come on here and let's just, let's jam a little bit on real estate reads, all that kind of stuff. Cause to be quite honest, we haven't really covered it at all on planet microcap at all. And so, um, look, here we are, we're going to talk real estate reads, how it relates to small microcap opportunities there, you know, kind of trying to set a little agenda. But before we get into all that, Bill, for anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, hasn't heard of, heard of Rhizome Partners, can you give that quick 30 seconds on your background and and why you founded Rhizome? Sure. So, um, um, you know, right at Rhizome, one of our core strategy is uh, uh, kind of small cap real estate investing and uh, 
one of our bread and butter is finding a real estate company that that's got a little bit of cats and dog dynamic. It's uh, sub a billion dollar market cap. Uh, it doesn't really have an institutional shareholder base. And we'll kind of try to use a private invest uh, real estate investor approach. We'll try to go to visit, physically visit the asset as much as possible. We'll try to underwrite it like a private real estate operator. And our mantra is is that we take a private approach to investing in the public markets. I know that's been said many, many, many times, but uh, we generally try to get a call 200 to 400 basis point spread in the cap rate over the uh, uh, the private side. So, uh, you know, some former examples like uh, we have bought kind of sub $500 million market cap warehouse companies. I think at one point uh, at a 9% cap rate when the market was probably closer to like 5 or 6% cap rate. Uh, we've invested in the collection of self storage companies that was also trading at about 9% cap rate when the privates were kind of in, in the 5% cap rate range. And usually there's some sort of hair, you, like, you know, you, you think about this illiquidity, it's not a pure play, it's got some sort of weird land holding that over time they're selling that off, they're, they're kind of very strategically using 1031s to defer the taxes and then reinvesting in other geographies and, and, and you know, we pay very close attention to the capital allocation skills of the management team and, and, and we'll, we'll have a lot of in-depth conversation with management teams to make sure that they're actually good capital allocation, actually watching out for your interests. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of been our core strategy since uh, um, 10, 11 years ago. Very cool. All right. So yeah. let's so let's jam then on, you know, everything going on in REITs, real estate, whatnot. You know, like I said, I love that interview that you did with Andrew back in October. So this first next question is, is a little similar to, I think, his first question they asked you with a slight twist, you know. So can mm. you give us kind of an overview of what has happened to the publicly traded real estate space in the recent past, all leading up to what, as you discussed on that podcast, is an opportunity now and then the twist being mm. you know and then specifically why now there's an opportunity potentially in the mm -hmm. small micro cap real estate place sure so um you know for any any of you watching uh obviously like going back to early 2022 we kind of had this uh um you know inflation was running high the fed started increasing interest rate and as uh, I kind of have a saying that if you're in the real estate business, you're in the interest rate business, right? Like you, you need to have an interest rate opinion. And if you if you don't believe that, you get yourself into trouble. So um, kind of around April of 2022, you could kind of see that the the NARI, uh all equity rate index, which excludes the mortgage rates, that from it kind of hit a peak of in December of 2021. And has uh, probably been down on a price, not on total return basis, because you know the, these REITs do pay dividends. So on a price basis, is probably still down about twenty five percent, between twenty five to thirty percent, depending on the day. And you know, one reason that is that makes it real interesting is that we went back to nineteen early nineteen seventies, and every time that the NAV REIT or equity REIT index sells off more than thirty percent. The next five year forward returns wind up being uh, an average of like 109%. The next three years is almost 60%. So it just naturally sets itself up to be a good stock picking environment. Um, and with like, obviously, like pockets, right? Like, like we're always trying to find something that's off the beaten path that's, that's a little bit um, got some hair on it. But like, I would say broadly as a sector, 
REITs have uh, been pretty beaten up. There's been uh, 2023. I mean, there's like, I don't, I don't have the exact number, but it was, you know, a significant amount of REIT ETF outflow. So the class, uh, asset class kind of feels a little bit, I, I don't think it's as bad as oil and gas and coal like 2019, but like it's, it's a little beaten up. Uh, there's uh, not a lot of interest in REITs right now. So that's the backdrop. Interesting. So, I mean, you know, with all that context and, you know, obviously you flying the flag for the, the REIT market or <laughs> for in the last, uh, you know, three months here and now, you know, making an appearance here as well. I mean, are you starting to see that change a little bit or what do you think from a macro or tailwind perspective will cause that to change? So it other than interest rates come down. So the interest rate is very obvious, right? Like everyone understands that if you could earn, uh, and, and we we get this pushback a lot, right? Like people say, well, why would I own a REIT when I get five and a half, you know, five and a half percent of two year treasury? So there's certain money, a certain amount of capital being like kind of hiding out in the two year at the moment, right? Uh, so everyone understands that. That's that's kind of like easy to digest, easy to understand. Um, I think that in the, there, there, depending on the categories, right? There's um, like within within multifamily, when rates got really low in 20, you know, 2020, 2021, and you know, even early part of 2022, that made developing new projects uh, feasible, that made it very, very attractive at that moment if you assume interest rate was going to stay flat, right? So, what, what that meant, what that meant was, a lot of projects that got the green light, they, uh, um, they, they, they're, they're, you know, approved to, to, to be built. And a lot of that is coming onto the market right now, more so in the Sunbelt because zoning costs, et cetera, is, is, is just easier than kind of like very land constraint markets like New York city. So more so in the California, or California, exactly. <laughs> right. Like it's not, easy. I, I, it's impossible. It's near impossible. To it's anywhere impossible. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, it's near impossible. My in-laws are in the business, so I'm yeah. like, I, I know. Anyways, yeah, no. yeah. No, um, so I, I think particularly in, in, in the Sunbelt, there are, uh, a, you know, a lot of supply being delivered. That, that was delivered last year. 2024 may be a peak year, right? And then like probably by the first half, depending on who you talk to, what data you track, by the first half of like, by the end of the first half of next year, like all that will probably be delivered, right? And then you kind of enter into a period where, not a lot of it were, were, were approved. Like, there's not a lot of starts going on right now. So, like, call, like, you know, second half of 25, like, 26 going forward. And usually there's, like, a three-year lag, lead, lead lag time. You could go through, like, a three-year period where the supply gets absorbed. You actually have fairly robust rent growth, right? So, I think I think the market, the public market is pricing in the fact that there's a supply that's being delivered you know, in the next 12 to 18 months, right? So so I think that's one of the holdup in a lot of Sunbelt multifamily. I was going to say, at least in the Sunbelt, because there is yeah. no supply in California. That is for <laughs> dang sure. I mean, yeah. for as, as high as interest rates have got, like the price of homes here continues to go up uh, like nothing's like nothing's changed. I mean, Yeah, no, since the, 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 the dynamic of single family home is very unique in that um, as, because usually like, I mean, this is common knowledge, right? Like when you're in a more normal environment, uh, uh, you know, everyone, every homeowner who has a 30 year fixed rate mortgage right now is sitting on one of like the best inflation hedge, right? So they're, they're not selling any homes and, 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 you know, they sell a home like if someone passed away, et cetera. But like, 
no one's really selling home and and you know get is getting rid of the fixed rate thirty year mortgages. Everyone's staying put. So the only supply that you get is any sort of new construction. And the is like you and I both know what. Like, there are no new construction. I mean, the minimal new construction markets like New York City and and you know, I grew up on Long Island. There's virtually no supply being built. You know, this is kind of. I mean, I guess this is more of like a personal financing question. But this has always fascinated me when I'm thinking mm-hmm. about real estate, especially with you know the rising costs of having to even just buy a home, even the rising costs. I mean, well, rents. There's nothing you do. Like if you're going to rent, you're going to rent, right? Yeah, but yeah. even if you're considering like buying a home or buying yeah. a condo, like it, it almost seems more appropriate to say, you know, I'm going to keep renting my place. I'm going to hold off buying. And, you know, I'm just going to invest in a few REITs or something like that yeah. that, that are more yeah. interesting or that, you know, I could get more yield than just, own, you know, paying out my yeah. ass to get a home that maybe isn't exactly what I want. But like, yeah. I just feel like I need to own a home because everybody says you got to own a home. Yeah. Know, this is one of those things that I've always jammed out in my head, you know, especially recently. It's when you got Warren Buffett saying, you know, buying a home is not really a financial decision. And, you know, his $30,000 purchase from, I think, like 1960s when he was like in his 20s, right? That would have been a billion dollars. Like, I've done the math. Uh, at some point, I, I remember doing the math. It would have been a billion dollars. And he himself says that he's got no regrets, right? Like, like, like if Buffett says that, I'm, I'm going to take his word for it. Because, like, you know, people buy homes for, um, you know, uh, for the community, for the school district, uh, you, you know, like a single family home is, is is not like it's not a financial decision. It's it's emotional. It's a community decision. And uh, generally, like, uh, it, you know, yeah, my wife and I, like we talk about, OK, like, you know, we have these rental properties. This money could go here. And, and, and like like we have those conversations. This is this is what I do for for a living. Right. Like I invest in real estate as an asset class and. And I could see, like, you know, if we sell one of our properties, income-producing properties, go buy something where there's no income, we're essentially a consumer of that home. Um, you know, that there's a huge cash flow trade-off, right? But I think for most people, um, you know, they're they're thinking, all right, like, like, what school district are we getting our kids into? Like, you know, is the neighborhood safe? Like, is it a place that w- where we want to live for the next 20, 30, 40 years? Right? Like, that's that's it, it becomes like. It's a really important financial decision, but at the same time, it's 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 not as a do we buy REIT A or do we buy REIT B or do we buy Costco, right? Like in your portfolio, so uh, it's 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 less of a financial decision than like we make it out to be. A hundred percent, and yeah, yeah. I was always listen. I haven't had a real estate yeah. guy on here. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a I'm gonna ask a dumb real estate question or two. So I apologize to anybody listening. It's gonna happen. But anyways, you know, another thing we were talking offline about was you yeah. know some other things that you've been finding like quite fascinating right now in yeah. state of the market, state of real estate reads, everything like that. You know, I yeah. wanted to jam on one that I thought was super interesting about this idea of uh you know the the bifurcation in public and private markets for real estate, where mm. you know private. I'll let you explain. Like, what what about okay. it is, is interesting right now that you're seeing? So, what what's super interesting is that there's this bifurcation between um, like private real estate and public real estate, right? So, I'm on Twitter a lot, and and I've like over time built out a network with a lot of real estate GPs and uh, people who do uh, multifamily value add, who who are in office self storage, like all, all all real estate asset asset types, and Oftentimes, you know, we would have a conversation with a a, a real estate operation that's uh, manages five billion dollars, right? You know, 
and we'll go in we'll, and, and and they're salivating to buy something at like a five and a half percent cap rate but i could show them all the analysis and 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 also the, the, they'll buy something at a five and a half percent cap rate but they'll have to go get financing you know in in, in a five percent range right between like five to six percent today so 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 there's very little positive leverage like like it's 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 like the leverage is kind of neutral right uh and then i could i will show them i say you could allocate to multifamily REITs today and you could buy multifamily REITs um, in the same region of like equal quality at six and a half to seven percent cap rate but you kind of get in a way get to assume the mortgage the, the, the existing debt that's probably fixed for five to seven years at three and a half four percent right and and th they're like we would love to get that but like we just want to own it privately with control and like the idea of if you're if you got five billion dollars of assets on the management or like the idea of like maybe allocating 50 to like i don't know a, a, a few hundred million dollars into a public strategy like that like like is absolutely it's almost like looking at me like as if i got like um you know slugs coming out of my ears right they're, they're like it, it's like a super foreign concept dude like on one hand they understand the valuation like we can sit down we can talk about what is what is the prospect what is the supply demand dynamic in each sub market we can go through all that all that analysis all makes sense but at the end of the day they're just like we can't pull the trigger on this so so i find that to be super fascinating because one last question is like why is this opportunity set available in the public market what like what, what why is it available and i think part of it is because there are a lot of knowledgeable real estate people who, who manages a ton of money but by mandate they can't come in and like like either they can't come in or the clients essentially are telling them hey like like we want allocation to real estate because as uh cliff assets called it like volatility laundering right they're like we want to give you money and we don't want to see any volatility but once you buy a read the, our next statement may say that we're down 10, 15%, right? So that very specific dynamic, I think, is actually one of the many, you know, uh, reasons why you, you could just go into the public market and buy, like, a portfolio of, of uh, multifamily REITs and, and, you know, buy them at 20 25% lower prices with better, you know, fixed-rate debt that are existing. It, 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 it's it's almost as, as if you're assuming that that debt versus like if you buy in the private market, you got to go out and get new debt, right? I I just I find that dynamic extremely fascinating. On one hand, I'm I'm solving the option of buying, you know, I'm I'm, I'm buying. We got a ton of allocation in multifamily REITs and other you know REIT asset classes, but but on the other hand, like it's frustrating. Like trying to explain that to people and try to convince people that they should make that allocation. Uh, so, so th there's this dichotomy. Well, I mean, is it, I mean, is, is it a function of, you know, those institutions where you're talking it's like, well, we also have, you know, this much capital that we, that we need to spend. Right. And mm -hmm. it, it, like, is there, is there that app part of it as well as like, we'd rather put something in, you know, own the hard asset. It sounds like that's really it. Right. Like they just rather own the hard asset, deploy that likely billions into that. Then mm -hmm. you know having to you know just I'm not saying just but just yeah you know what I'm saying no no there there's there's uh there's a very 
Like so you probably get you probably get why they're saying they're like, all right, we'd still rather do this, but at the same time, like, all right, okay, yeah, well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll buy up every multifamily REIT we got. Well, 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 speaking about like the um, you know, family dynamic, the family being in real estate, right? Like my yeah, my yeah. family, uh, I run a public strategy. I invest in generalist value plus you know, public trade real estate. The moment I open my mouth, try to explain to my family, my especially my parents about some multifamily REITs being cheap. Like their eyes just gloss over and they'll be like, we want to buy this. We want to buy this $5 million lot and then, you know, put a building on it and do all these things. Like that's, we're creating value. We own something. Like you don't own any owner piece of paper. So, so, so like I get it. Like I come from an immigrant family. I come from an immigrant family and, and we talk to a lot of like Gen 3, Gen 4 families, you know, a lot of Gen 3, Gen 4 Jewish families here in New York City who, you know, own thousands of apartments and conceptually they understand it's cheap to buy the REITs, but like they just won't do it. So, so I think I think that dynamic, that market dynamic of you have this very sophisticated investor base who could like sit down and price this out and analyze it, but but they still won't do it. Like like I, I find that to be like super fascinating because in any asset class when you when you talk about valuation and pricing, right? Like in theory, in theory, you you got an asset class that's liquid. That's instantaneously liquid, right? Uh, that's got you know very favorable in in, in place debt terms, uh, and and you know back in the days uh, with uh, Swinson at uh, uh, at Yale, he says that you should get a liquidity premium, but like if you have liquidity, you actually trade at a discount today. So so like this this is like the fascinating world that we existing at the moment right like it wasn't always like this yeah. it wasn't always like this it, it like when we came out of gfc there was like three four years where between like 09 and 2013 2014 i would say that the publics led on the way out and the publics were were, were, were expensive uh relative to the private it was like you know you, you, you like you know you could like in 20 2012 2013 2014 like you, you could probably make a private investment use more leverage and get like a better return also like the private recovery took longer right so uh, uh it, it, this is just something that i had a ton of conversation with investors mm -hmm. and i i i like you know notice and anytime like you know my business my my, my business is is in essence when i know i could buy something in the public market at a huge discount to private at a 200 bips discount like I, i'll just you know i just press a button and i do it right like that's totally. that's my strategy yeah no totally yeah. so i have to ask then also about commercial reads because look if multifamily reads are trading at are at this that you know like you said yeah. you know on average 25 percent discounts or you can find them at that commercial yeah. reads must be at the same or lower right okay. uh, just right or maybe i'm off i don't know okay so depends on which commercial read, right? Like let, let's 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 go down major food. Let's groups, go. Right? We got we got okay, four, we go. got four hours here. That's fine. Let's go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and also size and and uh, so size matters, right? Size matter, balance sheet matters, uh, and uh, people's possession management quality matters, right? Um, I would say the office the the office sector is super interesting right now because. Um, you take a read like Fornado, right? Like, uh, which is a what a blue chip New York City uh, landlord. Um, shareholder. What's that? Yes, shareholder. Yes, shareholder. Fornado yeah, uh, Preferreds. We we own the Fornado Preferred. We, we we were able to pick up some, you know, last year on a cheap. Um, 
Nice. And uh, if you, uh, and, and this is not just Bonato, this is uh, a lot of other reasons. Like if you, if you track a lot of transactions that are being, uh, you know, private M- M&A transactions, or even the REITs that sold some of those transactions, a lot of times the transaction comps will, will indicate that REITs are trading at a really, really deep discount to uh, a lot of the office REITs are trading at a really deep discount. So um, there's, uh, you know, if you uh, look at the current sentiment in the office REIT sector, there is a net lease REIT called WP Carry. Uh, so, you know, net, net, like net lease is a form where you buy a building that has like a 15 year uh, uh, lease on it. And in that sense, you're buying a lease rather than the, the real estate. And they, you know, most of it retail, like the most well known is a realty income, WP, WP Carry is a big one. So a lot of those net lease REITs are have taken the effort to either spin off or sell off or just naturally let these leases run off, and then so that so that the the you know they have as little office exposure as possible. So so that's that's like you know that's where we are in the office REIT uh, environment. Like no one, it's considered a toxic asset. No one wants to touch it. Um, and uh, you know, late last year, like you know. Last year, you had a couple time period where they actually uh, rally very violently because I think I think you know Chanos and, and and a few others were like heavily short them and they kind of got squeezed out, right? So it, it's an um, so there's like the stock the stock of these office suites, right? And then there's like the fundamental performance of these office suites. Now, no one like no one's going to tell you that the office suites are are fundamentally doing really well. Like a lot of them are having issues. So your existing lease maturity, you, you know, your, your, your lease terms matter, your, your portfolio wide average, you know, weighted average uh, lease term matters a lot. Your positioning, there's like a bifurcation, kind of similar to what you saw in a lot of, um, uh, you know, indoor malls, right? You, you, got, you, you saw like Simon came out, like, you know, they're, they're doing well, but a lot of B and C in secondary and tertiary markets, like a lot of them have given the bank. The, the keys back to the bank, and you're seeing that dynamic, kind of similar dynamic, play out in a lot of the office. And uh, generally, like people say, well, like can't you? Um, so most office markets are over twenty percent vacant right now. You know, there, there are there are markets that are thirty percent vacant now. I remember when I was working at Citigroup between around two thousand six, two thousand seven, when when if you look at Midtown Manhattan, we were at a four percent vacant uh, environment. So. That's that's where we're coming from, you know. That's where we're coming from. You go from an asset class where it's it's appreciated by shareholders. You, you have very robust rent growth. To most major markets, are over twenty percent vacant today. I mean, it's so interesting uh, to me because it seems like such a uh, an I mean the thought experiment around mm-hmm. like what you actually do with a lot of these various commercial properties that, you know, I mean, I was just on the phone with the CEO this morning, you know, when he, you know, said it was mandatory to come back to work and his entire employee roster was like, no, we, none of us, you know, we don't want to. And like they had to compromise where it was like, okay, well, one to two days work from home, you know? And at the end of the day, like, a lot of these management teams have to make that kind of decision where it's like, all right, is it really like I got rid of our, we had an office in May 21. We got rid of it. No need. Yeah. I'm working from home and it's more it's great because we do everything online now, you know? So I'm just, yeah. I'm curious as to what will turn in commercial or if there are folks out there that are thinking of creative ways in which to new ways to monetize those assets. 
because it just it, it's very it's yeah. interesting. Well, it's interesting because like the the uh, uh, the shape and, and and the layout of the office matters. So, so so we're seeing two trends, right? We're seeing we're seeing like you know there's a lot of conversation about like the office to resi conversion, right? And there's like limitations, particularly in New York City. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, about that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about that. so so if you uh, if you got like a skinny uh, so 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 like you're you're in the neck of what we're like. Munger tried to build the uh, the um, the student dorms without the uh, without the windows, right? So windows are the natural limitation to like what you could do converting like an office to resi uh, conversion because like you need an opening, you need light, um, you need fire escapes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so when you look at a building in Manhattan and you see a floor, you know, a floor plate that's two hundred feet by two hundred feet, right? Light is not really like you. You really could only from a window to internal distance of maybe fifty feet. That's probably the max that you can go. So if you got a 200 by 200 building that's a square, there's like 100 feet of like interior space that you, you just cannot utilize that, right? Um, so that's, 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 there's a huge limitation. If you got a tower that's got windows on all four sides and it's a skinny rectangle shape, those are, those are much easier to convert. But unfortunately, New York City has a lot of, a lot of these tall square shaped you know, office buildings uh, that's got a lot of interior space that you cannot like. It's just there's a lot of weight. Uh, there's going to be a lot of waste, and uh, the economics may not make sense for you to convert that. Uh, and the worst will be if you have a class B or C that's mid block where you don't have four different sides that's facing the uh, the exterior surface, and you got walls like your your sandwich between another building and and your your uh, and the building's older. I don't know what we're going to do with those buildings. Those buildings are going to be um uh the, the, they're gonna be really really tough to convert like like i really do not know what's gonna happen to those uh and i don't think the market does and i i i uh talk to a lot of industry experts like no one has a solution for that right now um now once you get out of like these cbd areas what you're actually starting to see is um office being sold on a dollar per acre basis rather than dollar per building square footage basis and and the reason is because they're being they're being sold as knockdown redevelopment projects. So so like once you you go to the model of like let me like kind of try to uh, convert or do some value adding the office when when lease it as office. Like once you kill that idea and say let me go back to the drawing board and knock down the building. Is this sitting on five acres? Is it sitting on you know ten acres? What can I do? Like can I add density? Can I add a retail and a uh, you know mostly a residential because residential is going to be your highest value, value right? Like, can I add a mix use with you know office, residential, and retail, um, uh, um, uh, you, you know, um, concept to it? And and we are seeing those trade hands, but like if you are the original owner, and and that's what it's traded for, uh, there's a good chance that you, you gave the keys back to the bank. Uh, and the you know equity owner like like that that's, that's a bad day for the equity owner when they trade on that basis. So we are kind of starting to see the market kind of find some sort of like bottom baseline uh, on on uh, on like what they'll trade for uh, as kind of like a rule of thumb in New York City to do like an office to resi conversion. People have basically developers have told me that three hundred is kind of that magic number. Three hundred dollars per square foot is kind of that magic number where they'll start like things start looking viable, like like it starts to make sense to buy an empty office building and try to convert it into uh, a, re a resi use. 
Super interesting. I mean, I think that's, I, I agree with you. I think that's where the trend is probably for the most part going just because, I mean, especially you think about places like in LA, I mean, mm -hmm. we need so much housing here, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, mm -hmm. New York clearly, you know, but mm -hmm. it, they're just the complete lack of supply is ridiculous. And then there's just these empty buildings that, you know, no one's going to, to go and work in anymore. So, I mean, mm -hmm. got to do something with it. Um, tear it down i mean come on then then it's gonna be another 10 years to have to get a permit to rebuild on it again um uh, it, it's funny because like i i it, it um you know my brother does some some uh tear down so so we've you know my family we uh my brother have built 23 units across four four buildings and it's uh um uh, in the last like five six years in in queens and uh i think two of the projects yeah the two project is like a single home, single family home, tear down, and we put you know fourteen units on it or seven unit on it. Uh, actually, there's three projects, right? There, there's like three projects: single family tear down, and, and he built you know put like seven seven units on one, fourteen on another, and then seven on another. So he, he's actually built more than twenty. So uh, what I'm getting at it is that um, it, uh, it, it, you know, you you could sometimes it better to uh instead of working with an existing office structure and column like like what, what happens with the office to resi conversion and i've seen some of the finished product right is that it's not the layout is not meant to be a residential apartment building right so you get these like weird configurations where the living room looks a little small or the bedroom looks kind of small, but then you have like a huge walk-in closet. Like nothing's like kind of optically, uh, you know, optimally lay out. So remember that $300 like figure that I, that I mentioned earlier, you're like, Oh, $300 per buildable, uh, you know, per building square footage. In reality, you're probably paying 400, 450 because by the time you adjust for a lot of these inefficiencies, like there's a lot of loss ratios. You're not like, I've talked to developers who say, we rather just do a ground up because the risk in construction of a ground up is that when you pour the foundation, there's a lot of risk. Like things could kind of go wrong. Like maybe, you know, you damage the foundation of the neighbor, get it tied up in a lawsuit. Once you pour the foundation, go vertical. It, it's actually the, the, the risk, like once you go vertical on something that's like below 20, 20 stories is, is, is actually like kind of minimal. But if you go, if you like take an office building, like you don't know where it is, like you don't know where, where where the wires, where the piping goes, and 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 uh, like it actually is more challenging to do a retrofit than a ground up development. Interesting. Oh, that's yeah. so fast. And that sounds way more complicated than just like buying some uh, a warehouse or a bunch of warehouses and uh, self storage stuff. You know, like that. Yeah. Let's just do that. You know, let's call it a day. Like that. That, <laughs> that sounds way way less complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why empty boxes like a warehouse with those stories <laughs> trade for like they, they, they trade for very low cap rates, right? In a in yeah. a geographically constrained market, you know, Rexford is is your in your neck of the wood, right? right? Um and if you think about what I love about industrials, and this this took me like fifteen years to realize this, in an urban location, in a high barrier to entry market like a SoCal or New York City. Warehouses is actually the supply actually shrinks over time because a lot of these warehouses, like the highest best uses, is some sort of like multifamily residential 
uh, uh, you know, uh, development. Like, like you see this in Brooklyn all the time, right? Like you're in some like kind of industrial, grungy looking area, and then, but before you know it, they knock down the warehouse, they put like a 12 story residential, and 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 the rent is you know four thousand dollars for one bed. Right? <laughs> you see this all the time in in Brooklyn. And I, I've seen this theme like play like, like you even started to see it in certain areas of of Dallas, you know, in some bigger cities in, in Texas, because as an area gets more dense, any of these light industrials, they often get scrapped and gets redeveloped into something higher, better, right? Which is why very ironically, when we went into two thousand nine, warehouses and asset category performed horrible, right? Like if you look at the stock shuttle prologis, uh, I think they might have like traded down lost 90% of its value than 2009. Now, they had a terrible balance sheet and everything like that. But uh, if you, when we came out of 2009, uh, you know, in, in these urban land constrained areas, like, which automatically means like not, not Chicago, not like a lot of these Midwest cities, like in, in SoCal, NorCal, New York City, Northern New Jersey, like kind of Baltimore, D.C. and Miami, like those markets, the, the, the supply warehouse actually thins out, actually decreases over time. And I would love to own an asset class where over time, you know, supply, your your existing supply actually shrinks over time because that means, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to invest a lot. It's just a box, really. There's not a lot of maintenance capex, but, you know, rent kind of tends to go up over time. So, you know, we, 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 we love, it's like, I would love to own Rexford, but I, it just from a valuation perspective, it's hard for me to pay those kind of multiple. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, you know, I want to go back to something that we, we were starting to touch on a little bit and that, you yeah. know, we're, we're a micro cap podcast here, a small yeah. micro cap podcast here. So, I mean, what have you been seeing within, uh, you know, amongst maybe small micro cap REITs that's been interesting that maybe yeah. has been left for dead, but has, you know, there might be some, you know, in value, you know, love to hear more on that front and maybe some of the hair, that's associated with some of those companies and what mm -hmm. folks should look out for. Sure. I mean, there's, uh, so, uh, I mean, if you want to talk hair and, 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 you know, I'll just go through some, some, some of the names in our portfolio. Right. Um, we, we own a position, in the company called Clipper, uh, you know, uh, Clipper realty. Right. Yeah, um, and yeah, it, you know, it looks very highly levered on the surface, but, when, once you start digging in into the uh, uh, um, into like where the debt is held at and and whether it's recourse to the main company or not, they're all non recourse debts, so they can all strategically default uh, on on these parts. So so you kind of like view it as there's multiple buildings, right? There's multiple buildings, and then the liability is that there's like optionality on all the li liability on each building that they can selectively default on. Uh, all fixed rate. Uh, I think the earliest maturity is in 2027, so still, you know, uh, a few years out, and uh, it's trade. You know, it's, it's yielding a seven and a half percent dividend, and uh, that at one point was almost like a nine dollar stock. Uh, they, you know, rent in New York City rent went down a ton during COVID, uh, and we like New York City had, went through this like cleansing process where. People moved out, rent collapsed, and then people came back with a vengeance in New York City. And rent is actually probably 20, 25% higher than they were before people, you know, before COVID, uh, like across the board in New York City. And, uh, you know, the stock is, is uh, at one point was 
nine dollars it's, it's five ten pays like a seven half percent dividend so this one's got a lot of hair right like if you and and like the biggest i think i think uh the biggest the biggest holdback from people and, and this is like a 220 million dollar market and it's company, pretty, right? pretty thinly traded too. yeah it's it's thinly traded right so so like this is this is the kind of like you know planet micro cap um yeah seven and a half percent seven and a half percent dividend yield we, we're, and, we're on bias we interview everybody here we <laughs> and uh uh, you know, I think this one's gotten really, really beaten up. Uh, the management team doesn't do a lot of IR outreach. Uh, we talk to them a lot. You know, we, we talk with them in person every year. And, uh, you know, we have follow-up calls. And, uh, you know, part of the hair is, like, a half of their portfolio is rent-regulated. But, like, what people fail to understand is that more than half of their portfolio is rent-regulated, but the rent-regulated portfolio is really about 20% of the value. It's it's one of those where, you know, a couple market rate apartments uh, is actually where the bulk of the value is, and uh, they taken the COVID take advantage of COVID pri- uh, um, you know crisis to develop a new property that where, where they were able to develop to a seven percent uh, unlevered yield, which in the multifamily development game is is an absolute home run, right? And they're in the process of uh, developing another project right next to it, going to use the same design, et cetera. And you know, I have, I have, you know, pretty confident they'll do a good job on that as well. So Clipper is has, has just like absolutely like <laughs> gotten, yeah, <laughs> gotten smoked pretty bad. Um, you know, the uh, uh, another one of portfolio, in, you know, I've been a little bit public about uh, talking about uh, FRP Holdings, which is uh, again the cats and dogs. The cats and dogs dynamic. Uh, this is probably one of the best asset collections uh they own a aggregate royalty business that does uh almost 13 million dollars of uh of uh, net operating income they have um you know frontage in the uh on the river in dc um uh and and they have you know class a buildings on the river in dc in the anacostia next to washington national stadium uh they have uh a you know portfolio warehouse assets but what makes FRP unique versus like other small cap real estate companies is that it's a really it's it's an excellent management team. Uh, they like you know this management team, this family that controls it. They've sold Florida Rock Industries to Vulcan a four point six billion dollar deal back in two thousand six. They sold the war, uh, the warehouse portfolio owned by FRP in twenty eighteen to Blackstone for three hundred fifty nine million dollars. And they recently sold a sister company called Patriot Transportation. Uh, they got approached, and they got shareholders like a hundred uh, over hundred percent premium, like versus the pre deal price. Uh, so this is a, this is a family that they do a really good job managing these assets. They you know we calculated that they they've earned about fifteen percent IR in their capital allocation on their projects, and there's like a they own they own trophy assets. Uh, in this like kind of cats and dogs collection, uh, like the aggregate business is probably one of the best businesses that I've seen. If you if you're on the river in DC, it means like your competitors can't develop in front of it. They, they have that they preserve that river view, and the river is essentially a boat against new development, right? Uh, and they have more sites on the river that they could develop over time. So they put out a NAV estimate, uh, which like on the high end is seventy eight dollars now. This is a really conservative management team. 
So, and they've said so. They said it like multiple times on these NAV estimates. Like, they omitted a few things. They used lower multiples. We have like an internally Harawa NAV. And, and they even said that, like, you know, they, they were kind of pushed to ask, like, at what price would you issue equity at? And they said 100, right? So it, it's like not a coincidence that, that like, you know, the NAV is, is probably 100. Uh, you know, like we'll push to 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 say, like, what price would you issue equity at? And they said a hundred. Uh, but you know, they have a model. So, like, you go on their website, kind of download their investor day presentation. Um, this has not the stock price have stayed stagnant since like twenty twenty two. So the stock price has been stagnant for three years. But they created a lot of value because during that time, the aggregate business have grown. So this is not a company that. Where the stock price has fallen a lot, but the stock price, the 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 intrinsic value has gro- has grown a lot, but like the stock price has has stayed stagnant, stayed flat the whole time. And you know the way that that I think about owning it is trading at a forty percent discount off its intrinsic like liquidation value. Uh, but they they probably grow the value by about ten bucks a share, like ten percent a year. So like if you use that mental framework, like you're getting in at a really good collection of assets with a good management team at uh, 60 cents on the dollar. And and they're going to grow that value. They're going to grow that private market value by about 10% a year. And at some point, if, if it gets sold, you get a nice, you know, one day pickup. But, uh, you know, people are kind of starting to find out. People are starting to know. Like, that's our, that's our bread and butter, right? Like, our bread and butter is to find these situations where I'm like, I am going to buy at a... 30, 40, 50% discount to private market liquidation value. But I'm going to invest in companies where the management team is actually doing a pretty good job creating value over time. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to own high quality assets. And, and, and that, like, when you get all three right, it kind of becomes a game of like sitting around and like watching paint dry, right? <laughs> like, like, there's not a lot going on. But then, like, if you if you like go back and look at like what kind of return can you actually expect from from like a strategy like this, is that people are like that's great. Like, I get it; it's on the value, but like, there's just no catalyst. And I'm like, yeah, like you know, I just, just kind of like like, but we've like how consistently experienced like 20 percent, you know, gross IR is like investing this way because you get in so cheap, they create value, the value grows. And it, it the, the stock price goes from 40, 50% discount to a 15 to 20% discount over time. And sometimes it's, it, it's because the land parcel that are very valuable, that doesn't generate any cash, actually gets developed and turned into a class A multifamily. Or a industrial you know, parcel gets developed into a warehouse. Now there's, you know, now it's thrown off $3 million of cash and someone could just come along and slap the cap rate on it. They're like, oh, that's that's an X million dollar piece of property or like the whole company throws off 50 million dollars of you know of net operating company i put a cap rate on it and and, and that's that's how like it's a very more uh marty whitman approach to uh to investing in in real estate via the public markets so uh those two um there is a uh i know self-storage was like all the rage right uh there is a tiny little company we don't own any shares right now but for anyone who like wants to look at like uh, small cap, you know, self storage? There is a 
little company ticker self, uh, SEF, uh, SELF, essentially trades at 11, 12% cap rate. Now, they're the huge, like GNA expenses. It's a smaller company. The GNA expense is like a large component. It pays, I believe, like a 6% dividend, which is, uh, you know, nice yield. I think the issue is like there's, uh, there's you know, a lot of uh, management team. Uh, there's, there's a real cost of being public. Uh, and uh, like, what do you get? Like, what, what are you getting yourself into? Right. I mean, there's like, you know, depending on who you ask, there's like some questions about like governance issues and whatnot. Uh, they're not in a hurry to sell. Uh, you know, comp is pretty good for the management team. But you do get to buy collection sell storage at like a 11, 12% yield, getting uh, while earning a 6.6% yield. And you kind of retain the optionality that one day you wake up, it gets taken out, right? Like they're not going to voluntarily sell it. Uh, I think they're actually decent operators. Like they, they've like, create a value in a portfolio uh the impact a lot of technology uh kind of just like you know self-storage is like this old boring business like in recent years like a lot of them implemented just using credit having credit card on file so that the, the, the it's automatically paid there is uh, a lot of like um, automation that you can put in place so you don't really need an uh, initial staff person at the location a lot of it kind of be like run automatically uh, and that's added a lot to the bottom line, right? So, so this, you know, you, you, some of your like listeners may find this one. We don't, we own it, we own it, uh, but like we uh, don't own it anymore uh, because I think like there are other higher quality assets. But like people want a smaller, less liquid like name, right? Like this, this one's like. But I wouldn't expect that it's gonna work tomorrow. Like I would just kind of view it as a. Uh, and by the way, this company have very minimal amount of debt, right? Like they they, they have very minimal amount of debt, that maybe like seventeen million seventeen million dollars of debt at like a three percent fixed rate for a decent uh, like an eight year period or something like that. I, I don't remember all the details, but like I, you know, it's probably not a bad allocation, uh, like a small low single digit allocation for someone's portfolio. Not investment advice, but just like like if you want to own something that pays you six and a half percent dividend. With like the optionality that one day you wake up, like it's taken out and you get like a 60, 70% premium. Like, like that's, there's, there's, there's a lot of private guys who would love to own it, uh, at a, uh, at like probably like pay a six, 8% cap rate. And then they could take out a lot of that, uh, kind of public company corporate GNA costs. Uh, you know, that's, that's a name, uh, I, I think like for the right, audience like but don't don't expect that it's there's any catalyst or even the stocks are going to trade higher um if you uh i think that uh let me see you know unfortunately like s s some of our like uh smaller companies have gotten taken out over years right like we got uh like we, we used to own lakos which is storage where you know i got taken out by cubesmart that that would have been like a fantastic idea for for your podcast right that was a nine percent cap rate i mean it's an mlp so we, which is where like um you're less familiar as your audience i think could actually have an edge as like individual investors because um they could own it and, and they got to deal with the k1 but as a fund manager you can't really own it like you know we used to own griffin which is uh also uh, which became known as indus 
And that got taken out by Center Bridge and Government of Singapore. So that's no longer, you know, that, that's a small cap that, you know, that would have been really interesting in this environment to pitch. Uh, but there's, there's like, I mean, we, we have one that's a around a billion dollar market cap that I'm working on right now. We're still, we're still doing a ton of research on. So, uh, 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 you know, we're not at, at, you know, privy to share that right now. Um, there's, um, I think anything, I would say in the re space, like even the, the 15, 20 billion dollar market caps are super interesting, but there's definitely a lot to do. Uh, like once you go below billion dollar market cap, there, there's a lot of real interesting names. Um, like as 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 not, like a not a ton, like, not a really a ton anymore. But they're 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 still. I mean, like for instance, we do. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like I have a we we run an index here, Planet Microcap Index, and yeah, our one of the it's basically top fifty names from each sector. Okay, and real estate. There's really not a lot of um, turnover. I would say. Okay. In terms, in terms of something like Clipper Reality, I think has been on there like literally every quarter. <laughs> literally every quarter, because yeah. like one of our one of our um, one of our criteria is trading at least twenty five thousand average volume over the previous three months, and okay. there's just some so many of these are so illiquid that twenty five thousand that shares or is that no twenty dollars. Dollars, twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, like okay. av average over the yeah, three yeah. months, and so like th that that almost excludes quite a quite a few of these because they're it just yeah. they're so thinly traded. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the Which creates uh, an opportunity in many respects, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, trust me, I um, a lot of what I do is actually like I'll I'll, I'll do a analysis before I buy. I'm like, what are the odds that this actually grows large enough so that the, uh, uh, you know, I've kind of noticed that, like, if you got daily trading volume that are over 3 million to 5 million, like, like, there's a big difference between, like, something that trades below a million a day. It kind of becomes uninvestable, by mo you know, for, for most funds. But, like, once you kind of get over that 3 to 5 million daily volume, like, like you, you could build, like, you could build a $5 million position. It would take you some time, right? Like, you build a $5 million position your patient versus like some some of these like you know like when i used to own lacos um we bought we probably spent a month like it is not it's fairly normal for us to spend a month or two to build a position to, to build like a some figure position in, in a company in a real estate company and i justify it by by saying hey if we were going to buy a private piece of real estate it's probably going to take even longer right if anything like like there actually is a uh a public market to to enter and to exit yeah so okay so you know bill i you've you've shared so much quality stuff here today i i'm man i'm still kind of wrapping my head around a lot of it you know but you know to kind of close this up here because i i think you'll you'll be back on we'll probably do the follow-up yeah, later I'd this love, year love and, be back on. yeah you know, just kind of you know no no crystal ball or anything like that but i mean yeah. with where you know considering all the macro stuff, you know, obviously interest rates, whatever, you know, how are you thinking about positioning, you know, your, your fund for 2024 um, and maybe even beyond? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're very long reads right now. We're, we're, I mean, uh, I, I can't help it. I can't help it because I know 
it's not like and and on Andrew's podcast, like we kind of went through a, a lot of the the dynamic about the inability to bring supply up, right? Like like because like the developer's IR has gone from over twenty percent to six to eight percent, and with with when you can own treasuries in you know that earns like four five percent, like how do you justify taking on that much more risk to to earn six to eight percent in phase development uh, model? So all the development activities have stopped. So we're we're very we're, I mean we're up you know up to our, our eyeballs in 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 real estate uh in, in REITs uh and and every dividend check that we're getting we're gonna go just go buy more and it's a form of it's a form of uh, you call it like a tax inefficient share buyback right like like one reason why I love these names is people complain about like well they're not buying back shares well like if you have something cheap right. Like it, when manage, it's frustrating when management is not buying back shares. I'm just sitting here and I'm saying, you know, I I, I have the choice to go do share buybacks at a rate of four, four and a half, five percent a year. Like, w- what is not great about that? If you think something is worth 50, 60, 70 percent uh, more than what it's currently trading at, and you get you get one percent dividend every single quarter, like I, I would just take that and and reinvest it. So part of our plan. Is to you know we we update the NAV on a quarterly basis for all our positions right so we know like at any given moment like we know what kind of discount they're trading at we're we're, we're, we're you know we're obviously we're tracking the fundamentals we're tracking uh, uh, occupancy rental rates et cetera et cetera but uh, this is one of the more obvious uh, our multifamily exposure via the public market is probably you know thirty five forty percent I mean it, it is like the singular most uh, the, like like the, like the easiest like capital allocation decision like for me to make. Um, and uh, you know one one thing that I would suggest for like anyone who's like watching uh, in, in you know in the audience is I would just really consider there's there's like a lot of uh, investors who like uh, you remember like the uh, North Korea South Korea like you know public private uh kind of uh. I would I would really recommend people to just kind of look into the public real estate because it, it and and also like I don't mean to say it as like in any environment we're in a very unique environment right now and I don't know when this opportunity set may disappear because historically a lot of these you know REITs trade at a premium to the private market right um, and this this may go away tomorrow. Like it may go like we kind of saw we, we kind of had a little preview of that late last year when rates would kind of drop a little bit and all these rally very very quickly. So I would just recommend that anyone in the audience who like you know only invest in like private real estate LPs uh, or like you know cut, cut you know uh, invest in private deals or like a family office who will only own these outright. Just kind of like. Look into this opportunity set because, uh, and and you know, most of us are sophisticated enough to be able to kind of look at the uh, look at the portfolio allocate, look at the portfolio position, the asset type, and and co- quickly come up with like what kind of cap rate they're trading at. And I think a lot of a lot of people in the audience like will find that they're trading they're trading at really attractive prices. Um, and you know, like happy, like you know, like if anyone to discuss, like you know. Like reach out to me, like you know, open to like having conversations. But I think like anyone, particularly you know, family offices who who like kind of like invest 
in either way like but like they just want that exposure whether it's like in visuals or family offices like like th th that could like invest in 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 either the private side or the public side like, like look into this a little bit because like you can literally look like you could take a offering memo by on a private deal like look at the location look at the age of the building look at the asset quality look at like the rent they're charging which is usually kind of gives you a sense of like the product positioning in a local market, whether, whether you know this is an A asset, B asset, or C asset, and then compare it to what the publics like in terms of like, just go look at some of the locations, look at some of the photos, look at some of the age, and, and we've done a lot of that analysis. Like we, we've like cop, we're like okay, this is an asset that traded in the private market this is an asset that you could kind of buy through a reallocation public market. A lot of times, what you notice is like the locations are better. The assets are younger. The the uh, uh, you know the, there's a lot of efficiency in being a large REIT. Just just you know having being able to share a lot of the overhead. And uh, I, I think this is like I genuinely the public markets are very forward looking uh, because guys like me wake up every single day. We make capital allocation decisions, and when when the public market starts thinking that hey you know. Fed may cut rate, like we should kind of get, we should anticipate that. You will likely see the public market lead the private markets by six to 12 to 18 months. Cause like you saw that on the way down, right? You saw that happen on the public side in around April of 2022 when all the REITs re started trading lower. But you really did not see this location. You really didn't see any assets you know cap rates start to come up on the private side it took a lot longer probably took about a year longer and the reason is because if you're a private owner the only reason you're going to sell into a rising cap rate environment is if you're forced to you'll you will sell if you have some sort of debt that's maturing or your rate caps are expiring and and your interest payment is about to uh, to go up or you're some sort of merchant developer and you naturally have a construction loan that's coming due you got to lease up the asset, and, and then you need to get out, right? So those are the only asset that that will actually trade, and and they'll, they'll, like no one's gonna do that trade unless they have to. And but like on the public side, people like me reprice everything every single day. Any on any given day, we could get up and we we could kind of make a transaction that will leave, you know, will, will give a price signal to the market. And 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 there, you know, there's a good chance that we will we will consistently be anywhere between six to eighteen months earlier than the private market. And and if you like really want to get complex and 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 maybe like for a follow up conversation, there's like some some ways where you get like two bytes of the app or you make an allocation to the public side, and then you can take that proceed and you can use it as a signal to like to allocate to the private at a later date. Like like you know that gets like complex, but uh. I, I think I think you know this is a pretty good natural stopping point, and uh, but like I, I encourage all the you know all listeners, all all the audience members to to explore this, to at least like look into the the delta between public cap rates, pu public valuation versus private. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, dude, we're that's where we'll end it, and we'll pick it back up at some point later this year, Bill. Where can our audience go and find more information to follow you on? On I mean, it sounds like Twitter's the best place to find you because you're on there all the time. So what's your uh, Twitter X handle and and also what's yeah. your website? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter as, as Bill Chen. If you search Bill Chen, you know, I'm on Twitter. Uh, 
I have an anonymous account, which I'll keep anonymous for now. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you could also reach me at bill at rhizomepartners.com. Uh, you know, uh, always enjoy inbound emails. I think, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy a lot of the, um, uh, um, you know, I think when people take the effort to reach out. I, I really enjoy those interactions. Uh, so I'm Bill Chen uh, on Twitter or, you know, via my email. Very cool. Well, Bill, okay. thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Yep. Same thank here. You. Yep. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.